insight and awareness spiritual explorer, soul intuitive, emotional and spiritual mentor and award-winning author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome explorers, I'm your host Lorraine Nylon and today our guest is Lisa A. Ramono, an internationally popular YouTuber and breakthrough life coach specialising in helping people raise their consciousness and heal from childhood trauma, codependency and narcissistic abuse. She is also an author of many books about codependency such as The Road Back to Me, Healing and Recovering from Codependency, Addiction, Enabling and Low Self-Esteem. So you've been very busy Lisa. Yeah I have. I like (laughs) what I do. That's brilliant. So I'd really like to talk about codependency. So what do we all need to know about codependency that you think people aren't fully aware of? I think that codependency is rather a silent epidemic, meaning that so many of us are so worried about what other people think about us. Yeah. And we seek approval. Yeah. And we're crushed by not being included in things we assume the worst about ourselves we think we need to be needed we settle for relationships that are one way yeah we appease sometimes abusers by fawning after someone who mistreats us because perhaps yeah. we're too afraid to be alone or we just don't have a healthy sense of self so the idea of how has this person's behavior affected me never even comes into our consciousness because we're so other focused and we think below the veil of consciousness, we need this other person in order to live, in order to breathe, in order to feel worthy. And that's, that's really the essence of codependency. But the scary thing is we don't know that we're codependent. We just keep staying in this cycle. Yeah, that's for sure. Actually, it's it's interesting. I wrote in one of my books that it was actually at a pub and it was a, it was a drunken, you know, young, young, age night and it was an older bloke grabbed me and he said look at them everyone's too worried about what everyone else is thinking about them about them that they're not really owning who they are and that was like a light bulb went off for me Uh, and I thought what a strange place for someone to randomly say that to me but it's true we're so busy in our own head worrying about what somebody else is judging us on that we're not really taking a lot of notice to what's going on no where yeah. and I believe that we're in a pattern, we're in a program. <clears throat> um, I think most of us are highly unconscious and don't know it. Oh, for sure. And it's always it's always surprising, even when you are looking to be conscious and trying to be aware, you're still going to stumble into those places where you go, how did I miss that? Absolutely. Because once you see it, it's so obvious. But we're too busy making excuses and trying to justify, I think and trying to appease our own emotions and settle them while we're trying to get away from the threat or the judgment of what somebody else is bringing to our door. Yeah, well, the thing is that the threat is subconscious and it's part of our default set settings. It's the default mode network. We're wired to avoid pain. And so yeah. below the veil, if I'm wired to fear what you think about me, it's part of my default mode. So when I'm not in learning mode, then I'm in default mode. Yeah. And so we can have a conscious conversation like we're having now and our brain waves 
are a little bit higher and we're a little bit more in beta where we're thinking alpha. Yeah. But when we're doing mundane tasks and we're doing something we've always done and it's mundane, that's when the default mode network is operational. And that is really what is coming through the subconscious mind into the conscious mind are our fears. And then our personalities, which are subconscious, just take over. And so if this fear shows up, then my personality goes into an ego defense mechanism. And part of that defense mechanism might be fawning, might be appeasing an abuser. It might be, oh, no, people can't dislike me. What am I going to do about that? Mm. And so it's all below the veil. And that to me is, is where I think that my work is a little bit different than a lot of other people in this field is that I'm focused on this idea that you were born in a dream state. And then up until the age of seven, you were in a theta brainwave state, which is a hypnotic brainwave state. So if anything went awry from zero to seven, and you grew up feeling detached or not loved, and you didn't experience this selfless attachment to a mother, then biologically you're wired to distrust people and to live in defense. And that's not your fault. And that will manifest in an adult relationship as codependency as many things, lack of self-worth as depression, as anxiety. Yeah. You know, we know that childhood trauma is, is the root cause of many psychiatric disorders, of bipolar disorder, and uh, even schizophrenia. Research is showing that childhood trauma is related to schizophrenia. There's this emotional, biological component that affects the human brain. And yeah. so child, the childhood trauma piece is huge because it sets us on the path of living a reactive and subconscious life. And a lot of people don't realise they were born into trauma. You know, like if the, if the household is tension, if there's um, name calling, if there's all those kind of things that you've grown up thinking that's normal. That's right. But it's actually traumatising and it's just, you know, because when we think of trauma, we think of most people's brains go to the big events. Well, this happened, it might be childhood abuse, sexual abuse, etc. But it can also be those you know, mum and dad fighting all the time, or I know you talk a lot about alcoholic parents and things like that, how that impacts children. So what kind of things really impact children? Well, we know that the most important thing for a child to achieve is an attachment. Mm -hmm. And anything can interrupt an attachment. A mother who is not prepared for the enormous responsibilities of the incredible needs of an infant, mm. a mother that's not supported, yeah, um, a mother that is having a very hard time bonding with her child. You know, this attachment piece is huge, and so it's we often think of trauma as sexual abuse or physical abuse, but not connecting to your mother and not feeling seen, not feeling heard, not having consistent nurturing, being pushed away, being ignored. Yeah. Science proves that the same effects happen to the brain of a child, whether they're ignored or they're physically abused. And so we don't realize there's abuse by commission, which is an act has taken place. But I would like to raise awareness about abuse by omission, abuse yeah. by that happens when things don't happen. Yeah. When 
no one's paying attention to you, when you're being pushed aside, when your emotions are being invalidated, when your tears don't matter, when you're being told that you're being a baby, when no one is there to really nurture you or help you through something, and you're forced then as a child to rely on your own defenses, and children are, are all egocentric. So first there's abandonment and then there's shame. Yeah. Because I'm abandoned, a child is egocentric, it must be my fault. Yeah. So that's where you'll see little children go, I'm sorry, mommy, I'm sorry, mommy, I'm sorry, mommy, it's my fault. I'm so sorry, mommy, I didn't mean it, I'll do better. They're begging to not feel that rejection and think that it's their fault that they're being rejected. And so yeah. that's their little mind's way of saying, well, if she's mad at me, it can't be her fault because I need her. I have to be the bad one. I mean, this is literally the mind of a child that will assume blame. And unfortunately, so you have this abandonment trauma, then you have the shame of being abandoned, which leads into faulty beliefs at the subconscious level. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable. I'm inadequate. There's something wrong with me. I don't deserve happiness. I don't know why I don't deserve happiness, but other people deserve it and I don't deserve it. And this becomes our inner critic. Yeah. And it plagues that, that will That <clears throat> goes with you all the way through until you actually deal with it. It's not something you grow out of. It's something that you have to resolve and come back to the reality of yourself to really grow from it really, isn't it? Like it's, it's, it requires a lot of growth to understand it. I think the first step, you know, and that's why, you know, every once in a while I'll have a mom reach out to me and say, your stuff does nothing but turn adult children against their parents. And I say, well, that's, that's your perspective. And I can understand if someone's gone no contact with you, if your child's gone no contact, I totally get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I understand why you would feel that way. But my experience is, and is that adult children don't even know that they're adult children. They've just gotten so used to living in denial and rationalizing and feeling sorry for mom and saying, oh, she did the best that she could. She was born in 1940. You know, her mom, with the, there's a lot of rationalizing and all of that, you're still abandoning the self. And that's why you're 57 years old. You have asthma, migraine headaches. You're, you've lost track of yourself and you're completely running on empty right now because it, that's been your lifestyle. Deny what I feel, worry about how everybody else is doing. And that denial strategy that was effective in childhood, this isn't happening, this isn't happening has now caused you to run out an entire lifetime of self-abandonment. And now you've got nothing else to, to give. And yeah. none of these coping skills have really worked. And so I talk all of my social media, my, my podcast, I'm talking about the adult child who has lived in denial. And I talk about the symptoms so that they can recognize maybe that's me. Yeah. Because you can't fix a hole in the wall you don't see. Yeah, true. And if you can, and if you can get to where you can see it and un then understand it, you're building like a platform underneath you. You start rebuilding a foundation underneath you that deprograms you from Correct. your default mechanisms. Correct. So, and and it's really hard when you. It is a default mechanism that you don't understand or recognize. It is very hard to then pull yourself up on it and and understand the motive behind it. Yeah, right. it is opening a can of worms sometimes, but, you know. Oh, it is. Well, that's why I created, I swore to myself if I figured it out because I could not believe that 
the day my mind said, what? I can think about the way that I think? What? Like, who's <laughs> observing what I'm thinking? It was like, I remember exactly where I was. It was earth shattering for me. Like, all of a sudden, I had this observer experience, you know, which is enlightenment, right? Like, who's observing these thoughts? Where do these thoughts come from? Are they even true? Hmm. Where, where did they come from? Oh my gosh, who's who's the observer now? It was like this weird thing that was happening, but it really was an expansion of consciousness. And I swore to myself, if I ever figured this out, because I could not believe that I married my mother. Hmm. And I bet a lot of our listeners can go, oh yeah, I married my father, I married my mother. Like we've all got the story. I, I was devastated, honestly. It was earth shattering for me because I thought, where have I been? Hmm. who's making these decisions? It really freaked me out. And that's when I started to study the subconscious mind. I studied hypnosis and I was like, wow. And when I came upon the research of children, I understood how I married my mother because this is the person who I could never get the validation from, which it's yeah. so unnatural. Birds bond with their babies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Apes love their babies. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like what? It's so, it's so unnatural to feel rejected by your mother and that desire to bond with her never goes away. And who knew that on a quantum level, we're giving off this frequency, like the black box at the bottom of the ocean, come find us. We attract the same energy of the person that is, has affected our energy. And psych, psychologists call it repetition compulsion. It's the desire to complete something, a milestone. And so me attracting my ex-husband was my inner child attempting, although an ego, mm -hmm. to resolve this unhealed, unresolved childhood abandonment wound, which doesn't work by the way, because when you attract your parent, they continue, that person continues to reject and abandon you. So it just plays out until your life implodes or you get sick is which what happened to me. I got so sick that wow. a doctor said to me, you better listen to your body because your body is listening to you. And I thought, what, what? I'm supposed to be listening to myself. Everyone tells me I'm crazy and I'm wrong. No, you better listen to your body because your body is listening to you. And if you fell asleep right now, you die. That's how bad my asthma right. And then learning about stress and living in survival, how it affects your bronchioles, how it causes inflammation. So this stress for my entire life, my childhood and throughout my marriage, it had gotten to a point where my lungs were just can't do this anymore. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that's when I said, I'm going to figure this out because I can see that I've done to my children what was exactly what was done to me. And I'm getting out of here. And it's interesting because I've had I've been questioned a lot on why did you not pick up the signs because you knew them and I, I I always explain it is that they're so familiar to you and your boundaries have moved so far out to accommodate them that you've learnt to tolerate it and I always refer to it as a form of indifference you know they're indifferent to you neglect is a form of indifference all that sort of thing so you become so immune to the reality of it and you go into whatever form of survival mechanism you've got could be denial it could be fawning it could you know like all your fear responses that you're so busy 
doing that that you don't even contemplate or you don't even realize it's an option of looking at what's important for you and that most people are trying to make their you know like we've invested in the relationships and now we're going to try and turn ourselves inside out to try and make the relationship work so you go through a stage of trying all the different mechanisms it could be talking it could be submissive it could be anything could be joining if if they're alcoholics it could be joining the party and going you know being what you think they want so you're trying all these different types of trying to get that relationship to work but you can't get away from that inner feeling so it doesn't matter what you do unless you can come to terms with the reality of what's wounded inside you're just prolonging it really but you don't realize that you know you um you have you might have really good intents but it's actually hurting you Oh yeah. And if you're a codependent, then you don't, you lack a healthy sense of self. The way that you survived was hypervigilance. So Mm. I'm going to focus on mom and watch her mood and dad. And there's this no talk rule. I'm not allowed to talk. I'm not allowed to feel. I'm not allowed to trust. I'm not allowed to tell anyone that I'm upset. And so Mm. how does a child develop a healthy sense of self except through their emotions. I have a 11 month old granddaughter and what I've drilled into my daughter and my daughter and my son-in-law is you are here to acknowledge her feelings. She knows when she's done with that high chair, honor it. She's squirming, honor it. She's communicating, honor it. When she doesn't want to eat anymore, honor it, right? When she's fussy, Mm -hmm. honor it. She's, you're teaching her, you matter. Yeah. This baby is being downloaded in the first year of her life. That is when her brain is downloading the most rapidly. The most growth is to one in 12 months. This is a sacred time. From zero to three months, the brain is still growing pretty rapidly. That's about as much time as you have to convince this child that she matters at a neurological level. Yeah, got you. At, at, At a thought level, at a feeling level, I matter. You only have about three years to get that right. Because between zero and three is when a child needs to be developed. The I, I matter. Me, I matter. I get to say yes. I get to say no. I get to explore. You get to support me. You don't make fun of me. You encourage me to get up after I fall. You don't take it over. You let me fall. You let me get up. You teach me that I have command over my environment. And I can do this. I can fall and hold on to the table and get back up again. This is confidence building. This is resiliency building. Yeah. But so many parents don't realize. They think, ah, she's just a baby. No. This is when she her little computer chip is being downloaded for relationships, for trust, for confidence, for a self. That's, and it's so important. And what, and what we're seeing now is most parents have got their head in the phone and they're, they don't, you know, it's not their intention to hurt their child, but that that is a form of neglect and you're, yeah. you're, you're becoming consumed with the wrong thing. Actually, the local pool here, they're always complaining. They've got big signs up. You are responsible for your child. We are here as a backup. Please stay off your phone when your child is in the pool. And you think, oh my God, have we got to that stage that they're they're begging people to to watch your children? This is dangerous. 
It's so sad. I just, I shared it on Instagram, a, a uh, video of a daycare. They have a sign on their window. Parents, get off your phone when you're picking up your child. We see so many children trying to share their work with you and you're mm -hmm. on your cell phone or you're checking your Instagram. It's that bad that we have to tell moms and dads to like pay attention to their children. And so I do think there is, um, we have to become, and well, this is what we do, right? We have conscious expanding conversations yeah. and hopefully the, cause you have to have the ear to hear it. The people who are conscientious and care and who want to do better will. Yeah, true. And other people, ah, but at, at least we're having the conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it gives and it gives you something to think like because we get into these habits and as as you've said already is that we don't realize them. So so can you give us a bit of an idea of of what sort of patterns do we see that causes a lot of grief when we have come from neglectful or traumatized families? Well, we tend to have destructive relationships. They don't work out. We can have addiction issues. We suffer with depression. We suffer with anxiety. We're very self-sabotaging. We have crushing inner critics. We try so hard to be perfect. We put on a facade for the world. We don't want to feel like a burden. Mm. We don't mind helping other people, but it's very difficult for us to accept help because we don't feel worthy of the help. And so we can have eating disorders. We can have addiction issues, um, but you'll see it in when someone, if someone's struggling with childhood trauma, they just have to look at their outside world. What do your relationships look like? What's mm -hmm. your inner critics sound like? What are your friendships like? Are you lost in worry? Because that's a key indicator. You should not be lost in worry. You shouldn't be afraid all the time. You shouldn't be anxious all the time. Are you afraid of abandonment? Are you highly reactive? Is it difficult for you to regulate your emotions? Are you able to just chill out and have fun? A lot of adult children of alcoholics, a lot of adult children of narcissistic parents of trauma can't have fun. Why? They're on edge all the time. They're hypervisual. Yeah. They're waiting for the next shoe to drop. They expect people to disappoint them. Mm. Yeah. They expect people, they're just very cynical. Yeah. And so, and that, that describes almost everybody I know. <laughs> yes. I've ticked a few boxes myself. <laughs> Wait a minute. But, yeah. Well, and it is, and, and identifying it is your first step. If you can get really honest about what you're feeling and those inner beliefs that aren't serving you, then you've got a starting point and it's, and you don't, the sad part is we hit it with shame or guilt or blame back onto ourselves. So we we shy away from actually going in there and really dealing with that, whether you call it shadow self or emotional baggage or whatever label you want to put on it. If you are prepared, I always say to people, your protective mechanism around hiding that stuff is the strongest you've got. Once you get through that part, it becomes easy because you start having those, aha, I get that. This is starting to make sense to me. Whereas you normally, once you're coming up to your own defense mechanisms, you're frightened of being confused. You're frightened that you're going to prove 
something that you don't like to yourself but it generally goes the other way is that once you get through there all of a sudden you'll act sounds really funny you'll actually start enjoying pulling apart your emotional baggage because it's such a relief to find the stuff that's eluded you yeah yeah well the 12 we breathe through coaching program that's my flagship program i call it the sacred healing program mm-hmm. and what i do is because i appreciate the brain that's in pain and we're designed to run away from forest fires the brain is not designed for healing it's designed to avoid the shame it will yeah. do everything it possibly can to ego defense mechanisms to shut it down until there is something strong enough on the outside of this defense mechanism that says, wait a minute, maybe there's worth or value in looking at this. So we, Einstein says you can't solve a problem from the same level of intelligence that created it. So fear isn't going to help you heal fear. So what I do in my course is I teach people how to elevate their consciousness, number one. So, and then number two, we anchor them to this idea we help them understand the benefit of embracing the pain. So now all of a sudden, it's my logical mind having a conversation with my emotional mind. Mm. It's a different conversation now. So now it's, so we flip the pain versus pleasure principle on its head. And rather than associate fear with looking at shame, we associate pleasure and benefit and with a Mm. goal with looking at, at shame. And that starts to change the narrative. Yeah, and it works. It works when you when you're able to do that. I've I've seen people come out of really ingrained patterns and beliefs that they could defend. They can can sit there and defend all day, but when they when they get to that point where they're willing to accept that could be a reality, um, you you start getting the change. The other the other question I've got for you is is why are so many codependent and traumatized people attracted to narcissistic people? What's, what's the, what's the party going on there? Yeah. So, and it goes both ways. Narcissists are attracted to codependence. So, uh, so if you think about it, it's, well, most codependents are uh, codependent. Most narcissists are codependent on their victim. And the I victim think, doesn't oh, no, realize I, that. I would go 98%. I would, well, narcissists can't exist without narcissistic supply. So mm. a codependent can live alone. Yes. But a relationship triggers the codependency traits. But narcissists can't live alone. They need someone to abuse. They need someone to hold up this mirror that helps them, that reinforces this mask, this false, false, this really this um, distorted view of themselves. They need someone else to say, oh, yes, that's actually it. And without that, they can't re- they implode, their life implodes. So I always said that narcissists are highly codependent. Yeah. It could be no other way. Um, but to me, it's like a narcissist and a codependent is like a hand in a glove because a codependent is other focused. A narcissist is self-focused. So it's the relationship works because that's what's required for a narcissist to be in a relationship and codependence until they heal really don't attract healthy people because healthy people don't want you to take care of them. Mm. Healthy people are kind of like put off by you needing to need me. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? so the person's like, no, I can get my own coffee. No, no, it's okay. You don't have to tuck my shirt in for me. You know, <laughs> so, codependent wants to like, I'll take care of you. I'll make you soup and, and I'll, I'll drive you to the car wash and I'll take your luggage to the airport and I'll watch your kids, you know, relax, you know, <laughs> Yeah. codependent that's how we function you know i worry about you i worry about you right and hopefully you'll let me worry about you and that's my wounded inner child please like me please like me don't be mad at me don't be mad at me because i have no self-worth i have no self-value and i don't know that i am sabotaging myself in pushing myself upon you hoping that you'll need me but a codependent walks into the office of a narcissist Narcissist says, here, kiss my ring. Sure, mm. I've got some laundry in the trunk of my car. You could go do that for me. Oh, and I don't mind you cooking me dinner and rubbing my toes. I love this. Yeah, yeah. So it's two people in one relationship, but two people worrying about the one person in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting too. And, and so we're looking at some of the narcissistic traits and how – impacting they are on people so you hear people talking about gaslighting could you give us an an explanation of gaslighting so gaslighting is some is when someone is intentionally to cause intentionally trying to cause you emotional and psychological harm by messing with your reality Mm. i never said that i never said i was going to come at five you know you should really listen better you know that yeah. you're forgetting things. Yeah. And the other thing they do is they turn your words. So when you say something, they'll turn it and send it back to you and you will be like, that's not what I said. They want you in that position of defending yourself Why they discount what you're saying as well. I put yep. that in the gas, gaslighting arena. Yes. I, I, the, one of the examples that I, I give people is when I was in the throes of my relationship, I remember telling my ex-husband that I was going to go to the post office and then Target. And when we talked later on, I said to him, oh, I went to Target in the post office. He said, I thought you said you were going to go to the post office and then Target. <laughs> and I said, yeah. He's like, well, why didn't you just tell me? And I thought, did I do something wrong because I went to Target first before? But that's that happened all the time to the point where I, I was dizzy. I thought, did I do something wrong? Mm. Because it was so absurd and it made no sense. Someone who's somewhat rational thinks that you're asking me a question that's rational. Yes, that's a very good point. We don't think that this is a form of emotional manipulation or that it's crazy making conversation or it's a circular conversation or it's a conversation just to cause static within the relationship, Mm. right? To cause the codependent person to be a little bit off balance. When you're rational, you just assume that the person that you're dealing with has a legitimate reason for asking that question or feeling what they're feeling. Yeah. And I always explain it to people is that, you know, think of a ruler and you're operating from 10 to 20, we say centimetres over here, and then, but they're operating from, you know, 1 to, to 30 centimetres and you're not aware of the outside. So when, when you're in those kind of experiences, you don't have the intent that you want them confused, you don't have the intent to cause them any harm, 
you're coming from that place and they're using that as a weapon against you and it's not on your radar that that's a possibility so that's why you get so confused so it's and my experience with someone was that I would say something could be simple like I'm going to you know Kmart and Target or the post office and they would look at me as if I had just said I'm flying to the moon and I'm going to you know have surgery and they'd be like what what are you on about and I was like I'm just going up the street I'm going to do this 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 and then it was that reaction of I'm so confused I don't know what's going on so then you then come in and try to pacify their confusion. Mm-hmm. So there's all different ways that gaslighting can have you in these confusing states that you walk away going, what just happened? So and which which after you've been doing that for a very long time, you you either give up and you say nothing. So you become quite silent. Yep. You just try to avoid those 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 conversations or those events which you can't really avoid because they're pulling you into it all the time and if you don't realize that is their intent to do that to you you will go back to that default mechanism all the time correct so. and, and there are so many people oh you know I, i've said it myself i've heard my daughter say it in relationships i just don't want to argue with them yeah yeah sure you know, 10 more years of, I just don't want to argue with him. It means that you're sacrificing yourself. You're stuffing your emotions. His reality or her reality matters more than your reality. And you're appeasing this. And my mother did this for over 50 years. And I, this is part of my passion, the fuel and the, the fire in my belly, is I watched her brain turn into mashed potatoes. That's sad, so yeah. She just came to a point where there was no more thought process. It was just whatever your father says, whatever your father says. I mean, he taught her, he conditioned her to fear a negative outcome. Yeah. If she yeah. said something. So it was bang his fist on the table, God damn it. Or, you know, just rage or he would ignore her and puff himself up like a bird trying to intimidate her. He would, like I said, he would walk around and not talk about her. He would huff and he would puff. He would threaten her. He would make fun of her body. And so eventually she learned that, wow, if I don't confront him, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But never ask herself, how does it make me feel? That space, yeah. the I space, the me, the ego, the healthy ego, the healthy narcissism. How is this making me feel? It elicited so much fear in her to be spoken to like that, that she shut down like a little girl. Yeah. Yeah, and it sad. was terrible to watch. And she ultimately died. He had to take care of her. It was just such such a nightmare because then it flipped because she was always worried about him. And then she had one stroke, not surprising. Then she had another stroke. And now all of a sudden he had to worry about her. And that's where you saw his narcissism kick up because he was used to being the one that was taken care of. And all of a sudden the family's like, you're her spouse. This is your job. And it was, it was, it was fascinating to observe and very validating. (laughs) Did he step up to the plate or he just, did he he care for her well? I think he thought he did, but no, no. He would shove pills down her throat and he would insist that she was 
not taking her pills on purpose. She had a stroke. She was in a wheelchair. She could hardly swallow. So in his head, you're doing this on purpose. You're not taking the pills on purpose. It was, was, uh, there were days where you saw that, you know, he could see that she was so dependent upon him and you could see this side of him that was just like a little boy. I don't know what to do. Like she always took care of me, but in moments of stress, you absolutely saw like the narcissism and the resentment um, and the childlike behavior and the, and the app narcissist can't handle stress. Yes. Yes. That's true. So this was, you know, she's aging. She's a full grown adult in a wheelchair. She's in a diaper. She's a mess, you know? Yeah. So this is, that would be stressful for anybody, let alone mm. someone who is highly narcissistic um, and the demands that, and the financial demands that placed on him. Um, so it was, it was interesting to watch, but uh, very sad. I, we actually considered, my brother and I considered going to an attorney to um, take, get his rights from him, but uh, we couldn't get my sister on board. So. Yeah. That's sad. It's sad. Yeah. It's and it's very hard to to watch those kind of things, especially when you are fully aware, because you're you're actually seeing it on so many different levels. Correct. But uh, yeah, and if you if there's not much you can do about it, it can create a no. sense of helplessness too. Yeah. Well, so, what helps me is my recovery. What helped me in codependency, you know, recovery. What what I teach is you better figure out very quickly what you can and cannot control. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're gonna get lost in the soup. Yeah, and, then, and that's on any form of recovery. That's right. Regardless of what it is, that's your starting point. Yeah, and yeah, it was definitely. very helpful for me to recognize that this was her mate. This is who she chose. This was her. This was her father that she could never gain gain the love of that she was afraid of losing, um, and this was their dynamic in this quantum field. And yeah. I had to let this play out, and it's just and love them anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's I, I sometimes just come come back to the statement. It's in play, you know. You just witness it. It's in play. So very interesting. So, what do you think of the five major red flags never to ignore? Because one of the things that I see with people is that by the time they're ready to leave their relationship, and it's normally because their denials broke. There's no more room for suppression or something absolutely beyond their ability to ignore or make right with themselves has occurred. Part of what I see for them and experience myself actually is that you crash under looking back and going, oh, why did I align to that? Why did I agree to that? Why did I live in that? So what are the five major red flags that we should never ignore so we can help people avoid coming out you know getting into these kind of relationships I think there are so many you know there are I think it's easier to see red flags in someone else someone who lacks empathy someone who is emotionally exploitative someone who has a sense of entitlement somebody who you catch lying somebody who their words don't match their behavior. So these are red flags that I think it's easier to see that in someone else. But I think to make it personal, we should never ever ignore when we feel like someone's trying to put us down. Yeah. Yes. When someone is, has devalued us 
Yeah. When there has been some level of disrespect or some level of gaslighting, some, some level of where you're, you're sensing that this person intentionally tried to hurt you and then denied it. Yes. Any type of mocking. Yeah. Any it's type not, of... It's... Because we we palm that off as, oh, we're just joking. Well, you know, let them know it's not funny. And then if they keep doing doing it, you know it's intentional. Correct. That, that's that's one of the things I sort of advise is, is be very clear on what you're feeling and if they keep doing it, it's intentional and you don't ignore that. Right. So, be, you know, which is hard for some people to do, especially if they're coming from traumatised childhoods because they don't feel like they've got the right to say it so it is a bit of a perfect storm for a lot of people and I think what I the one of the things that I missed was I was always confused I never felt at peace in my relationship I never felt 100% emotionally safe it was always something I was trying to attain yeah yeah (laughs) but I never felt it you know You know, if you're going to bed before your partner to avoid him or her, that's you shouldn't ignore that. If you're leaving the house to avoid your partner, that's eh, a red flag. Yeah. You know, if you really don't want to hang out with your partner, like don't ignore that. Like I have worked with so many people who that's the way they survive their marriage by yeah. avoiding their partner. You know, um, and if you're avoiding your partner, that means you're avoiding something inside yourself. Yeah, true. Yeah, that is very true. So we'll go to the big question. What do you think humanity needs to acknowledge and understand for us to evolve? Me personally, I think what's, what's helped me evolve is recognizing that the mind is more subconscious than conscious. And without understanding your mind is going to be more subconscious by default and then making attempts to learn what it means to become the witness, the silent observer within, Mm -hmm. so that you can learn to observe your thoughts, not attached to them, understand that you can actually pick a thought and leave a thought go. You don't have to focus on a thought. You can actually just let a thought come through the conscious field and let it float away like a balloon and never touch it. And so I think what would help people very much is to realize that most people are just living a very reactive life. Yes. Whatever whatever they were programmed to believe, you know, I'm a Catholic because I was born a Catholic. Well, what if I was adopted by a Hindu family? Yeah. So we're really, who am I? Am I really a matter of conscious choices or patterns and programs? And I think most people are the result of their patterns and programs and non-conscious choices versus conscious choices. And I think if people knew that, if they knew that they weren't as conscious as they thought they were, there would be an opportunity to rise above the default settings, above ego, and actually get to a point of being able to love the self and love yes. others. Yes. This ego makes me afraid of others. Transcending ego, I see myself in you and I don't want to hurt you. Yeah. I want to understand you and I want to love you. So I think in order for humanity to survive, to actually move forward would be mm. for people to realize they're probably not, not as conscious as they think they are. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And it, and it's like if you're curious about self-awareness and self-reflection, which is not ruminating, you know, it's not overthinking, it, there's a difference, but really trying to understand yourself, you can do that from any place. You don't have to be trying to recover. You can actually be, you know, I call it exploring and and see, you know, objectively observe and then the the whole point of it is, is your consciousness raises the more honest you become with yourself. And it sounds easy, but we all know it's not because you've got to you got to face those dark pockets that you have in yourself. And they're only dark because you've judged them as dark. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're frightened of feeling your pain and your suppressed hurts and all the rest of it. But as you give yourself permission to explore who you are and what you resonate with, your natural self-awareness rises up and then you can start making conscious choices and know your reasons why instead of just being emotionally reactive because half the time people emotionally react and have no idea what even triggered them. Nope. Nope. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's a beautiful thing. If you stay on the path long enough, you'll get to a point where you realize you're not your thoughts. You're yeah. not your story, not even your emotions. You're so much more than that. You know, your consciousness and consciousness observes. The average human person identifies with the story. They say, I am that. Yes. You know, that's one of my issues with AA. You know, I don't want to go into AA every day and say, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had, I, I'm not, I don't have to be an alcoholic, but I can understand the, the pain that brought me to drink. And why I use that to escape, but I'm so much more than that story. Yeah. I don't want to be tethered to that story. I'm consciousness. I'm the observer of all that is, you know, I'm one, I can get to a point where I actually, for me in meditation, feel one with the universal mind. And so then my ego self just seems so small. Yeah. You know, and my authentic self just seems like, wow. Yes. Wow. Wow. Which is the whole purpose of, you know, spirituality is to understand yourself. It's in and to and whatever method works for you to to explore, because we're also unique, is it, it, is, you know, but find what really resonates with you and yeah. explore it. And you might be in something for a little while and then you'll move on and all the rest of it. It's it's not um, you know, I, I often say it's not those things that you're feeling are experiences you've had you know so I'm Lorraine and I'm a mother but I'm Lorraine who's mothering you know it's not it's not a just a one and done that's who I am it's a a, it's Lorraine that's mothering so and we do that even for addicts no you're not just an addict you've had the experience of being addicted and that's your experience and now you're wearing it like a coat Right. And every time you look down, you think that's who you are, but you're beneath all that. You're, you're, you know, you're in the middle of all that. So it's like get back to there. Yeah, which is, you know, it's an exciting adventure if you're prepared to turn up because you've got to get honest. You can't bypass, otherwise you're just playing a game and you, you'll get disappointed with that eventually anyway because yeah. you'll start to feel fake. Authenticity doesn't feel fake. No. So... And it's constantly moving too. You're constantly expanding. So I hear people talk about, 
defining themselves and I said but that's where you are today who knows where you're going to be tomorrow and and what experiences are going to help you grow yeah it's cool to be able to observe yourself from a higher state of awareness and know that that's your physical self that's your name that's your gender that's your job but it's not the real you yeah (laughs) you know it's like I always tell my clients like when you go to the moon you have to wear a spacesuit When you come to earth, you have to wear a suit and that's flesh and that's bone. And to operate, you need a brain, right? So when you go to the moon, you have NASA, let's say, who is operating this this oxygen mask in your spacesuit. When you come to earth, it's your brain. That's your central central station. And it's going to be programmed by the programmers in the world. And that's going to become your reality, but it's not really your reality. It's virtual reality that you make reality, but you, when you become conscious, become become the programmer of this inner reality that you can switch and then manifest in the 3D world. It's quite exciting if you can like stay on the path and get to that point. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's hard, but it's so worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, anyone that's really understands part of their authenticity never wants to go back. Correct. Yeah. So if, if you take that as advice, you'll never want to go back, even though you might have some really rough times. And if you're being honest with yourself, you're going to have them. But on the other side of that, it's like, it's so worth it. Things that helps my clients is I say to them, you know, because we have like these such, I feel like a priest. They tell me everything, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. because I'm not going to judge you, you know, and one, one of the things that I hear consistently, my clients say to me, you always say, dear one, it could be no other way. It could not be any other way. If your mother's an alcoholic and then you're 12 years old, you started drinking, it could be no other way. Yeah. That that's the way you were taught to escape pain. It's not your fault that you're in pain. You didn't create an ego. You didn't create an addictive brain. You didn't create any of it. You're just trying to survive. Yeah, exactly. Right? Outside of consciousness, you're going to do what the human being does to avoid pain. It could be no other way. I don't care yeah. what you've done. I don't care yes. who you are. I don't care what crime you've committed. I don't care if you're on in a jail cell somewhere. There's a reason you ended up where you were. And it probably had to do with childhood trauma and being unconscious and reacting to pain. Yeah, that's a beautiful sum up. All right. Well, I think it's time to play Flip the Book. Are you keen? Absolutely. Brilliant. So we've got three books. So you don't get to see them. So book one, two, or three? Two. Two. Okay. That's what we refer to as the big book, Your Insight and Awareness book. So it's full of um, concepts about exploring your self-awareness. So you actually have one to 430 pages to pick from. 217. 217. You've got five paragraphs to pick from. Three. Three. Okay. So when you prefer to battle reality, seeking control of your existence instead of accepting who you are, you become insipid towards the truth of your soul and recoil from the truth you naturally feel. This leaves you opposing your ability to feel the truth of your soul as you fight for supremacy over the exposure of truth. When you desperately want to create balance between your different energies, 
you often disregard the potential of resolution. That's probably where you started and what you've explored most of your life, I would say. Absolutely. Adult life. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's my, that I teach that. It sounds like that's what I teach when I'm teaching non-resistance to what is. Yes. Because that, that is major, you know, like even for myself, I know that I chased for a long time why. Why, why, why? It was full of questions, but they all come down to why. And then what I realised, which I was slow to the party, was that I was fighting reality and creating more of the same of what I was trying to avoid. Yep. So once I realised that, I started telling myself, don't fight it. Reality is, and there's a lot of effort from all different strains of energy and people, etc., for this moment to be occurring. So don't be so arrogant to believe that I can change it. You know, so be be honest and present in it and and be an objective observer so that you're not fighting for supremacy over truth and reality because you're only going to try and convert it to something that lets you hide all your stuff anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's interesting. So um, there's another part to that if you want me to read that, the sure. next part out. Okay. Sure. So you may want to be the controller of peace within yourself while you deny the reality of your life, yourself, others, relationships and truth. This means you assess peace as the ability to control the external world to suit pacify and gratify your unresolved emotions because you do not want your emotions to disturb your illusion of control. You internally know peace comes from accepting reality and choosing to harmonise with truth. To be at peace and in harmony with truth, you have to trust being an evolving soul on a journey. Yeah. yeah. Now, I love the, um, the soliloquy um, by Shakespeare in Hamlet, to be or not to be. That is the question. Yeah. You know, and he was thrashing against his reality. Yes. Right? And he didn't want to accept his reality. You know, his father, his, his father was killed by his uncle and now he's sleeping with his mother. I mean, it was a mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes back and he doesn't want to accept this reality. He ends up killing his his girlfriend's brother i mean it's it's an absolute mess and you know that reminds me of one of the biggest breakthrough moments of my life is when the doctor said to me you better listen to your body because your body's listening to me to you i was revolting against my unhappiness i didn't yeah. want to be happy i didn't want to accept that my marriage was failing i wanted i didn't want to accept it because it meant so much loss it meant a divorce. It meant the kids had to go to a different school. It meant divorcing this man who was not going to be kind. So that acceptance meant I'm letting go of the, the shreds of control I think I have. Yeah. And I am walking off a cliff into an abyss. Yeah. So accepting that, not fighting against reality is so courageous because oftentimes the reality that we're fighting, we're trying to control what little shreds of life that we have that we think we can control, but we're ignoring the self. Yeah. 
We're ignoring the self. And so it is so courageous to watch someone be a caterpillar and then turn into a butterfly, to go into that darkness, to take the risk of that transformation. Because you don't know, you don't know how far you can fly once you step off that cliff. Yeah. You don't know. And then most most of the time, all of our fears do come to the surface. He's going to be mean. He was. My family's going to abandon me. They did. The kids are going to be a mess. They were. You know, like, I don't have a job. I don't. <laughs> like everything that I was afraid of happening actually happened. Yes. Right? So it was like, yes. what have I done to myself? But it's like, I, it got to a point where like what you're saying, I couldn't deny how unhappy I was anymore. So it was like, yeah. I, ha- I have to step off this cliff. I say, okay, bring it on. Bring you up. Yeah, here it comes. <laughs> the credit cards. Yep. 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 Kids hate me. Yep. 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 (laughs) And and one, one thing people don't realize too, you can be courageous and look completely messy because you're going to go, you know, I mean, I'm sure in that stage you looked extremely messy and you were, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And the the (laughs) ice cream, like waking up with vanilla ice cream all over the bed. Oh yeah. It was a mess. It was so, you know, but that's why I say my podcast is breakdown to breakthrough because I was falling apart, but I was really falling together. So everything that was not me was being ripped off of me. All of my attachments that my ego thought I needed, they were being ripped from me. Like a crane was ripping them off me. And I felt naked. I felt afraid. I felt vulnerable. I felt powerless. But I just knew that that truth, that painful truth was better than living in denial and living in you know, this facade of a life. That, that pain was better. That was truthful. It was yeah. real. And yeah. I trust it. And that's what, that was me embracing. Yup, this sucks. This is my journaling. Yup, my life sucks. <laughs> yup, I cried all day. Yup, I had diarrhea for a week. Yup, freaking out. Like, yup, yup, yup. Like, just... Yep, this sucks. Yep, just honoring it. This sucks. Yeah, like yeah. literally going to this emotional detox where these 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 cancerous emotions were just like ugh, mm. coming through me, and it was just detox, detox. Yep, 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 yep. Just constant validation because I had been so suppressed my entire life. Don't feel that. Don't think that. So something switched in my head where I thought this shit, this pain is truthful. Yeah. And it's better. I'd rather be alive in pain and acknowledging and embracing how horrible this is than be back there again. Yeah. And eventually, eventually it started to calm down. My business took off. I finished the road back to me. Um, Really, it just things started to just roll for me. My book went to Amazon bestseller overnight. Then I created the next one within six months. I was on a roll. Yeah, brilliant. Once I came out of that fire, it was like, whoosh, the energy <laughs> that created worlds was really, I found it. I found it. The truth, yes. the truth sets you free. As ugly as it is, as painful as it is, it sets you free. Yeah. I called mine the cracking because yeah. once it started to crack, I was aware too, you know, I was aware, aware of a lot of things, but I, I was, I, I felt trapped in the uh, financial codependency. So totally. yeah, so it was kind of like I had my world over here and, 
And when that cracking started, I I really had no choice in what was going to happen after that. Like it was like a volcano and it just kept coming and coming and coming and and I lost all sense of foundation underneath myself and I, and that scared me. I was reacting to a way I didn't rec- recognise in myself, you know, like I'm pretty stable and I felt completely unstable and I I couldn't stop crying but it was crying for me which I think was the first time I'd ever done that. Like I, you know, like I actually really cried for the reality that I had experienced and then everything just come up. So there was all these different stories and they were truths. They were events. They were experiences. It was what people had said and how people reacted and, you know, childhood stuff and and all the rest of it. So I just decided I'm not going to fight it. So if I was in the fetal position, I was in the fetal position. If I was staring out a window, watching the clouds, that's what I'm doing. And I just let it keep coming out, but I kept getting honest about it and I kept seeing my contribution as well. Not, I, I, did, I did a lot of blame, but then I eventually that changed to, okay, how did I turn up to this dance? You know what I mean? Like, so how did I turn up? So then I could start backtracking. Yep. And I was fairly self-aware originally, you know what I mean? Like, but it was just another layer and I just accepted it was another layer. It was the, I call it the soul denial, the, the, the Pandora's box of all the stuff where you deny who you are and you store it in there. So, and then I was like, there's another site, there's, this is a tunnel and I will get there. And I was really lucky too. I had a lot of really good support that just listened. Awesome. They didn't come in and start telling me what to do or how to fix myself or what I should do next. They just listened as I started to really come to terms with um, what it was that was in my Pandora's box. So, and yeah, so I look back at the cracking, as I call it, as one of the best things that ever happened. Now, I would not have said that while I was in it but I can really honestly say that now and I wouldn't go back. No, no, no. You know, there's, there's a price for self mastery. Yes, know. there um, is. You have to pay an admission price. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, sorry. Like that, that crappy experience is just, that's you paying your dues for self mastery. Yeah. You know, um, you know, there's, there's just no other, you, you can't get to the top of the mountain without going through that. True. And that's, that's just the way it is, you know, but you know, having these types of conversations are helpful because they help people um, accept that the, the, the path to enlightenment and healing is painful. Yes, it is. It is painful yes. because you're going to have to um, face all of these ego attachments that you believed in to get to the other side of non-attachment. Yeah. Cause right? you're actually codependent on your, I wrote a lot about this, Years ago, you're codependent on your resistance, denial, and avoidance. Yeah. You, and, and, you know, you, you, you pull it around like a little wagon behind you and then you just you codependently work out which one you think is going to help you in this situation to, so that you're not confronted. But it's like lean in a little bit. And, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's a fabulous journey, but it's, it's, it's a tough journey indeed, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, it's like, I wouldn't go back. And today, you know, I, I mean, I have this program that's helping so many people and the process is awakening, 
accountability, and ascension. So Lovely. you have to awaken, then you have to take accountability, what's your part in it, then you can ascend. Yes. But and it has to be in that order. It can't I've seen yes. so many people like think they're where they need to be and they push their ricochet back. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh it's, it's fabulous. And you will go you will go through, I always explain to people, every emotion, every belief, every fear has got layers. So when you're, you might be doing the surface of it, you might be doing the middle of it, you might have found a few layers within that as well. And even if you hit another pocket, it's not that you haven't dealt with the, the stuff already, it's another layer and that's a good thing. You know, you're, you're pacing yourself down. Whereas I see some clients where they're going, I thought I'd fixed my resentment. It's just another layer. It's yep. just, you know, you've acknowledged this part. Here's another part. Just just keep coming with it because they, they worry that they're just repeating, repeating, repeating. But if, if you can see the, the difference, even if it's slight, it's another, it's another layer. Yeah. So if, if there's movement and growth, otherwise you're just ruminating and you're just playing in the, the energy of it. So Absolutely. When I first yeah. got divorced, I thought that my ex-husband and I were codependent. I didn't know I was codependent. <laughs> I thought we... And so what do I do? I attract another highly narcissistic person and then another one and then another one and then one more. And then it hit me. It's no, it, I'm codependent. You know, like it's, I'm surprised. Right, but it just shocked me where I thought, oh, I'm going to get a divorce because we're codependent. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's, that's where I was at that stage. Like what you're saying, that was that layer. And then it yeah. was another layer. And then finally, I asked myself, like you, self-reflective, like, you know, how did I end up here? And the answer yeah. came, you're still ignoring red flags. And I was yes. like, oh, with, I don't know. It was like, wow, I act self, spirit, you know, what did, how did I get up here? How did I end up here again? I thought I was doing so well. You ignored the red flag we sent you. One of the things that I realized is that I had this belief that if I sacrificed myself, if I doled down my shine, if I put myself out of, you know, out of kilter with myself or any of those things that you, whoever I'm trying to be friends with or partner, etc., mother, all those things, you would appreciate that I've done that. Right. And I don't know where that started, but I had it. So, so I, I classed that as something that I was strong enough to do. Correct. So I had this ego thing going on. Okay, I can handle this. I can handle this and how I can handle this. But eventually you don't handle these patterns that are of your authenticity and then you realise that you've been doing damage to yourself because of the patterns that you've played out on the experience you were having. And that's a hard thing to face is that, you know, that you are the co-creator in all of this as well. It's, um, yeah. Because a lot of people get stuck on the blame, you know, like it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. And the, the trouble with that is you won't heal anything. You won't grow from there. So. Yeah. And that's, that's, I try to do that. You know, I had a client say to me the other day, she's like, you're the only person that can tell me that I'm effed up and I'm not upset. <laughs> the way you tell me that, well, you know, like you explain it in a way that's like, oh, okay. I can see my part in it. Right. Yeah. I can see yeah. my part in it, you know? Um, and that's where, you know, um, the codependency in the narcissism field, especially on, on YouTube, I hear a lot of like, it's the narcissist's fault. Right. And it, and, and 
on face value, it looks like, well, of course, I'm the codependent and I'm giving. And this yeah. person's taking, right? So, and I get that. But then we want to say, well, one's good and one's bad, right? We want to, we want to tie things up in a bow. Like a, we watch a 30-minute sitcom and, oh, everything's, there's peace in the world. That's, that's not the way this works, right? Yes. So if I'm, if I'm not exerting a boundary, I'm not showing up as my true self and advocating for myself, I'm going to get into trouble, whether it's at work, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's a, a partnership in business. Right. So yes. rather than I try to ask people, don't see it as good as bad, good or bad. Just how did I get here? Yes, exactly. How did that I is get very here? good. Yeah. You and know, if you and are sitting in that self-loathing and the self-judgment, that's not helping you either. And it's hard to come out of like I, re I respect that it's hard to come out of. But that is one of the, the first things you need to deal with as well is like, you know, lo loosen up a little bit on yourself and. And don't feel like you're to blame for everything as well. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah, there's two sides of that coin. So it's either I'm going to blame myself or I'm going to blame that other person. But there's yeah. no power in blaming yourself or blaming the other person. There is yeah. power in how did I get here from an objective conscious consciousness? Like, how did I get here? Like, what did I ignore? Yeah. That's powerful because that puts you in the driver's seat. Because if you could see what you did wrong, you're actually in control of that next time. That's where your power lies. Yeah, love that. Love that. Well, thank you. I've appreciate your time and I've enjoyed the conversation. Yes, me too. Thank you so much. This has been great. <laughs>